Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Diane Bell, an award-winning director and screenwriter who's premiered films at both Sundance and Tribeca. We talk about her films and how she got her start as a screenwriter working for the director of Die Hard. And she also talks about why it's so important to shoot from the heart. Let's get into it. And here we are with Diane Bell. Diane, how are you? Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me. This is really an honor. Oh, it's a, it's my pleasure. There's there's so much to talk to you about when it comes to filmmaking, um, feature films, uh, books, workshops, you name it, film festivals. Um, I'm really excited to get into all that. But before we do, uh, could you give us a little background about yourself and tell us how you got into filmmaking? Absolutely. So I didn't get into it until quite late. It didn't really appear to me as like an option in my life. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about teaching it and sharing to people that it really is an option. Hmm. Uh, through my 20s, I, I mean, I studied philosophy in university. I was after that, I went into yoga and I taught yoga for many years. I went to India and I opened a yoga school in Barcelona, Spain. And, wow. you know, through all that, I was a complete cinemaphile. I was absolutely obsessed with movies. And I was also obsessed with writing. So at a certain point, I you know, had an idea for a movie, and I was like, this would make a great movie. And that was when I wrote my first screenplay. It was not an overnight, it's that sort of thing. Was it an overnight success? It took me three years to write my first screenplay. I mean, people would say later, how long did it take you to write that? I'd be like, oh, well, eight weeks over three years. Um, it, was, it was a tough process, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I was absolutely convinced that this was a great idea for a movie and I wanted to see this movie. And I, I was very single-minded about it. When I finished that film, I did indeed manage to sell it, you know, which is still kind of miraculous when I think about that and how that happened. But I ended up in L.A. Uh, with that script optioned. And through that, you know, things took off. I, I got hired by the director, John McTiernan, to write a film for him. Who He's a director who did Die Hard and Predator and things like that. Mm-hmm. I got hired by him to write another thing. So we did two uh, projects together. And during this, you know, so I was building my career as a screenwriter and I got hired to write a a horror film, which was very strange. Um, So during this, I was like building my career as a screenwriter and I thought this is fantastic and all these projects were going to get made and it was awesome. And then suddenly, and so many Hollywood screenwriters will relate to this, uh, everything fell apart overnight. (laughs) Like literally in one week, I went from three films were definitely happening to no films were happening and for reasons completely wildly outside of my control. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, John McTiernan was arrested by the FBI. (laughs) Just little things, you know, little things, right? Wow. Um, But things that you could never have predicted that were just, as I say, like, and it really went from being like, oh, like these movies are happening to they're not going to happen. And you just realize, oh, my goodness, all this work and these amazing scripts and they're not going to get made. Um, And so at that point, I just decided to make a film. Uh, yeah, I just I was at the point with my screenwriting where I was like, I need to see this on the screen. I've got I feel like I've got really good at this craft, but 
I don't know because I don't know actually how it translates into being on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, I just took it upon myself to raise the money and direct my first feature, which was Obsolidia. And that movie, which we made for $140,000, completely off the grid, uh, got into Sundance and won two awards there. So, and that started sort of, you know, my career as a director, uh, not just a screenwriter. Right. Now That's- that is amazing and uh, kind of a dream come true for a lot of indie filmmakers out there. Your first film you directed, not only screened at Sundance, but won awards. I know. I mean, I, I still like, you know, it still blows me away because people say it's just impossible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like if people go, you know, like you, you make your first film for $140,000, no stars in it, no connections to anyone at Sundance or anything. It's impossible. It will never get selected. And I go, it can because it happened to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that, you know, you can make a film for that much, it just goes to show because one of the awards we won was actually for the cinematography which gave me immense, you know, an immense sense of pride because, you know, people have that idea that if it's low budget, that technically it's not going to be that good, which I just don't believe there's absolutely no excuse in this day and age for your film not to look and sound amazing, even if you are making it for a small budget. Mm -hmm. And that proves it, you know, because we were up against films that were, you know, 10 times, probably 20 times our budget, right? Yeah, (laughs) had to be, had to be, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, it was totally a dream come true. And, but my thing is, it's not impossible for anyone to experience that. If it's happened to me, it can happen to you too. Mm-hmm. Well, I love your attitude. It, it's very positive and uh, forward thinking. That's, that's, that's the kind of mindset you have to have if you're going to succeed. Yes, definitely. I mean, I feel like, you know, if you're making a film, you have to get into that mindset from the start because there are so many obstacles and challenges you're going to face. And unless you maintain just like, you know, a, you know, a deep attitude of gratitude for everything that's happening on your journey, um, you know, acceptance of it. And also like just a single vision, like you just keep going and you just know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you allow doubt to enter your heart and if you allow you know, envy and fear to enter your heart while you're on the journey. I don't know if you will have great success with your movie. It's it's probably possible, but I don't think, you know, if you want to really succeed with your movie, I go work on your mindset. Definitely, you know, embrace like the idea. I can do this. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, this is easy. Why not? (laughs) And, And don't listen to the people who tell you it's not possible. Along the way, many people will tell you again and again, that what you're doing is crazy, that it's not possible, that you can't do it that way. I mean, that certainly has happened to me. With my first film, Obsolidia, I remember meeting one line producer who, uh, he, he read the film, he said, look, I love this script. He said, there's no way you can make this for less than a million dollars. There's just no way. And, you know, I was like, okay, like, like in my mind, I'm going, there's no way that I can raise a million. Like, I just, I don't think I can raise a million and I don't want to make a movie for a million dollars because I've never made one before. You right. know? So I don't want that level of risk and pressure. And I just said to him, you know, thanks for looking at it and thanks for meeting and, you know, see you. Bye. And it was so funny, that guy, and I have to hand it to him. When my film got into Sundance, he wrote to me and he said, Diane, I will never say impossible again. and and I thought it's really big of him to actually have written that you know but it was so true and I go you know there's so many experts who will tell you what you cannot do and really you have to listen to your heart and do what you want to do and that is how you will succeed 
Do mm-hmm. not listen to experts, you know, including, you know, <laughs> including me or anyone else that would come on this show. But, you know, seriously, <laughs> I go like you have to as a filmmaker, just find your own, you know, your own passion and your own path. And there is no textbook that can tell you how to do this exactly, because every film is different. Right. You know, you have to you have to find the way it's just like having I always go like having making films is like having kids. It's um, you don't know really what you're going to get, you know, and only, you know, your kid, you know, and you have to nurture them the best way that you can with the knowledge that you have and with the vision you have for them. Mm-hmm. But there's there's no rule that says what is right for one kid is right for another. It's always different and it's always different with films, you know. So your job is just to get into like very clear into the flow of your film and your vision for your movie and to tune out the noise. And that definitely means tuning out people who say you can't do something. Wow. Now, being your first feature, um, took you three years to write, you said, and, uh, or, or was that the other one? Am I mixing it up? That was another one. I'm so sorry. That was the script that I sold. So that took me three years to write because I was, you know, and this is something that I really enjoy sharing with people because I think it was hard for me to become a writer. It was not easy for me to get to the space mentally where I felt like I could do this. Mm-hmm. And writing that first script, it took three years because I was so full of doubt. You know, I would write five pages or 10 pages and then I would go, this is just terrible. It's never going to go anywhere. Who do you think you are? You know, mm-hmm. and I really battled with that. And I battled with that for, you know, I would say a decade. Really, It took me that long to even start to write a screen. It took me 10 years to start to write a screenplay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started writing a screenplay, it was not an easy journey. And I go for anyone you know, who struggles with that, you know, it's it, like, stay with it. You know, it's, it's not an easy journey for all of us. Some people seem to feel very naturally entitled to, to creating art. And for others of us, it's, it can be a struggle, but it's a worthy struggle. Mm-hmm. So that first script, it took me three years and it was, and the reason it took that long was really because of my own, you know, doubts and fears that would come up and just make me think, Oh, forget it. You know, who do you think you are? Right. And finally I finished it. And the first few times that I shared it with people, I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> hmm. This is like the most, like, it felt, it felt like, you know, I was handing over my soul to be judged in a way. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and it took a long time to really build confidence, but something in me, and I don't know what that is, you know, some little voice kept saying, no, you can do this, you know, just like push on. Once I finished the script, I really felt that there was a value in it and I did push on. But after that, it never took me so long to write a script. For heaven's sakes, I could never take that long. <laughs> These days, like a, I mean, a first draft, I'll knock it out in eight weeks, max, you know, probably like five weeks to write a script. Nice. And I do, I do actually teach a class here. In, uh, I live in Denver, Colorado, and I, I teach a class, you know, getting people through a first draft in eight weeks. And I love it because I just go, just get it down. You know, once you have it down, you can fix it. But mm-hmm. until you have it down, you have nothing to fix. You have nothing, you know. Wow. Uh, but the first film that I actually directed, Obsolidia, that took, I mean, it was really fast. I wrote it in a few months. I felt very excited about it. I just, I could see it in my head. I just knew this was the film that I wanted to make. Um, in September one year, I was sitting there with the script and I thought, I really want to shoot this next April. And the reason for that was I was shooting most of that movie in Death Valley. I knew I couldn't shoot it in the summer. So I really was like, April, you know, I'm going to shoot it next year in April. Mm-hmm. In September, I had no money. You know, I had no idea really how it was going to happen. 
but it did happen. We shot it. We started a few weeks after my original idea of when I would start it, but we shot it that spring and edited it over the summer, submitted it to Sundance in October and boom, you know, uh, there we were less than a year after shooting it, uh, premiering it at Sundance. So it was very fast. I think like in all, you know, the process from, from having the idea of the script to being at Sundance was less than two years, which is <laughs> crazy. Wow. I know. How did you go from being a, a, a no-name director to, uh, you know, winning at Sundance? Were there connections you had made previously with uh, selling your scripts? Or no. Or it was just absolutely. all organic? You know, we submitted that film. I didn't know a single person in the Sundance Institute. I didn't know any of the programmers. We had zero mm -hmm. connections with anyone there. And literally, my husband, you know, on the last day that they accept submissions, he, we were living in Santa Monica. He jumped on our motor scooter with a copy of the DVD and the application form you know, <laughs> and scooted over to their offices on Wilshire and um, and submitted it. And he says, like, he, he said, I handed it over to the guy, you know, at the, at the desk. And he said, and he took it and he put it down in this pile that went like, you know, right along the hallway, this, this sort of row of envelopes. And, and my husband said, and I just thought, there goes nothing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, no, we totally submitted through the slush pile. We had no connect. There was no one that we could call or anything to sort of say, hey, can you make sure you take a good look at this? Mm. So we just submitted it and, 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 and crossed our fingers. And really, I'll, you know, a funny thing about that was a couple, so a few months later, I was actually out, um, working i was writing this script with john mctiernan so i was out on his ranch this uh original script that we were writing together and he lived in wyoming and it was the first time so we were still working on obsolidia the film was not finished at that point the film that we submitted sundance was not a completed movie it was um i think it was locked picture but we hadn't done sound or color mm. and wow. so the films yeah and the film at that point still had not had that work done you know and i was out there in the desert, uh, in the desert, I was out in Wyoming at um, McTiernan's ranch. Uh, and I suddenly just had this really like dark night of the soul about that movie. And it's so weird how these things happen throughout making Obsidia. I just loved it. I loved the whole process of making my first movie. It was just a joy. And it was just like, it was so creative and so wonderful and everything about it just made me happy. And I really had this feeling throughout it that if nothing happens with this movie, I really don't care because it's just been the best experience of my life. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. I really had that attitude about it. But then this one night I was out at the ranch and I probably had been on the ranch in Wyoming for about a month. And that would always be when I would hit a wall there, you know, because it's pretty remote and pretty weird lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I was just sort of like, anyway, I think like, oh, you know, get me out of here. I need to see some people and, you know, be with my friends and hang out. But um, I suddenly was just like, that movie, Obsolidia, is going nowhere. And I, that was my one shot at making a movie. I'll never get to do it again. You know, and I really just went into this black hole. And, you know, and it wasn't like me, but I was just, you know, I just really felt like I'd made a whole bunch of mistakes with it. And the very next morning, the very next morning, I get an email from Sundance saying, is this the right number for you? We'd like to talk to you today. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's and fantastic. I, and I, yeah, I called my husband. You know, I hadn't seen any of my friends or, you know, just was out in the ranch, like in this other world. And I call them and I'm like, do you think they're just calling to say like, you know, better luck next time? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Like, I don't think they call for that. And I'm going, but it couldn't possibly have gotten the, you know, mm -hmm. and, and um, then the, the call came and it was one of the programmers and 
And she said, you know, your movie's been selected. And I just like, I just lay down on the floor and started crying, you know? wow. like literally just, you know, and I think it was because I just had that dark night of thinking, you know, nothing you ever do will ever go anywhere. Everything's always doomed, you know, like that, mm-hmm. like that kind of like darkness. And I was just like, I was just sobbing, you know, and she was like, oh, you know, it's okay to cry. Your movie made us cry. And of course I'm like, oh, don't say this, you know, and, <laughs> It was just extraordinary. And I think, you know, what gave me faith, like when I went and met the programmers and they talked to me about seeing the film and I realized they love movies so much there, you know, those programs really do. And I do think like if you make something that is truly unique and that connects with one of them through the heart, you really have a shot of being uh, selected for it. And I know there's politics and there's connections and all those things happen too. And those are true because, you know, all these people are jockeying for those very coveted slots at a festival like that. Uh, But I think like if you make a film that does connect with them, one of the programmers, he said to me, he was like, we see so many, you know, we watch thousands of movies every year. And so many of them, he said, feel quite cynical, like the decisions that have made them, have been based upon what people will like or what will appeal. Right. And he said, you watch your film, and he said, it's just pure heart. You know, it just feels like pure love. It doesn't feel at all like there's any decision that was made from anything other than what that film was meant to be. And I, and it's true. Like, I, I went, it's actually true. Like, I did not once in the process of making that film really think about like you know what the audiences were like or what the most commercial decision was in fact very often I made the opposite <laughs> decision you know mm. like I chose to cast my dearest friend Gaynor Howe in the lead rather than a known tv actress who was interested in the part and wanted to give money to the film you know I, I like I made some crazy decisions if you're looking at it from a certain perspective right but they were always the right decision for that film you know, and that's what I always say to people, like, you, you have to tune into the film that you're making and make the right decisions for that film. And there's no, that's why there's no boilerplate or there's no book that can tell you exactly what you should do, because every film's going to be different. But if you trust your heart and you trust your inner intuition, you really have a shot at making a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people start off with the idea, OK, what do people want to see? Rather yes. than what you did, which is what story do I want to tell? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always say, like, if you're asking yourself, like, what do people want to see? You're totally asking the wrong question. I mean, start with what you want to see. That's if you make something that you love, there's a really good chance someone else will love it, too. But if you're trying to, like, second guess your audience or second guess people's tastes, I just think you're just you're, you're going down the wrong path. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably why there's so many mediocre indies. You know, and there are tons of mediocre indies, you know, I I watched the process with my second film, Bleeding Heart. You know, the producers that I worked with are wonderful people and, you know, the great accomplished producers. But, you know, so many decisions were based upon fear and based upon how do we appeal to more people? You know, that was kind of like the driving question with a lot of decisions, creative decisions for that movie. Hmm. And I think the movie suffered for it, you know. And I didn't, you know, it was a situation where I didn't have final cut and I couldn't make all the decisions. Um, and, you know, I, I think the movie got watered down in certain ways and it, it didn't make a better film. Now, was know? that a, was that a bigger budget, a bigger crew? Was so there just was. a yeah. lot more, you know, cooks in the kitchen, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a bigger film. The budget was over a million dollars. So for me, you know, it was like 10 times the budget, over 10, over 10 times the budget. And... 
there were a lot more cooks in the kitchen. It, it, you know, it functions differently. And I think that can be a positive thing. It can be wonderful. In that case, it wasn't, you know, always the best because I feel like at times we were trying to make different movies and that is not a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. You know, you have people in the kitchen wanting to make a different dish, but you're all throwing things in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Uh, and, and the bleeding heart, uh, that premiered at Tribeca. Correct. And that is another uh, favorite film festival of, of filmmakers out there. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. So um, it, it was wonderful. Bleeding Heart is a film. It's a kind of feminist drama with Jessica Biel and Zasha Mamet. It was a more conventional movie and also the approach to the festivals was more conventional. That's that situation where the producers do have contact, you know, they do have contacts and there's a sales agent on board and, and they're talking to the festivals and they know the programmers. So it wasn't the kind of thing where we just submitted it blind and crossed our fingers. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there were definitely, definitely different things going on behind the scenes. And it was a great festival and it was an amazing place to launch that film. I feel like it was the perfect place. The only thing that didn't work in our favor was that Jessica Biel, the star of the movie, um, had her baby the week before <laughs> the oh, festival. No. She couldn't be there. And that was a real shame. Like, definitely, I think that, you know, hurt our publicity for the film and, you know, the platform that it was on. She was devastated because she loved the movie. And she had never in her whole career missed, uh, you know, the, the launch of a movie, premiere of a film. So she was absolutely devastated because it was such... This movie was like her baby, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but unfortunately that's, that's how it happened. I, I, in hindsight, I sort of feel like we probably should have just like, once we knew that she couldn't come because of the, you know, having a baby, we probably, I, in some part of me thinks we should have probably, you know, put the brakes on it and, and waited for a different festival later in the year. Hmm. But it, you know, it's what it was. Yeah. Now, can you touch on, uh, the different vibe of uh, Sundance versus Tribeca? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing with Sundance is it feels like such a village because, you know, you're out in the snow in the middle of nowhere and the people that are there are all there for the festival. Mm -hmm. Whereas obviously Tribeca is happening in the middle of New York City. And so, you know, it's you're in Manhattan and you're in Tribeca and, and it's it's a completely different vibe. You know, you're walking through New York to get to your screenings. You're not like stumbling around just with a bunch of filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So it has a very different feeling on that front. It was a very different experience for me because I think with my first film and being at Sundance, my entire cast and crew came to Sundance. It was oh, such wow. an intense, amazing experience. <laughs> yeah. We literally, I mean, even, you know, my gaffers came, like everybody came, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and we had everyone up on the stage every time. Whereas when I went to Tribeca, it felt like, you know, much more conventional sort of experience where the actor, you know, a few of the actors are there and me and, and, and first I did get some of my crew as well. Cause I did, I, I was like, please come, please come. And a bunch of them did come. I, I sort of, I try to cultivate that, you know, I feel like it's their moment as much as it is mine or the actors. And I definitely want to share it with them. So we did have quite a few people with the DP and the composer and the editor there. It was great. Mm -hmm. um, but I would go, I mean, Tribeca is, it's amazing. And what's amazing is sharing your film with those audiences who are obviously so cinema savvy and, you know, so excited to see these films. It's a, it's a great place to launch a film. I mean, I loved it. Um, mm -hmm. But Sundance is, Sundance is pretty special. It's just being up in the mountains there, you know, it's, it's in its own little bubble and it will always have a special place in my heart for sure. Is it magical? 
Oh, totally. It seems magical. I have not been yet, but... uh... Yeah. You know, if you're if you have a film there, I'll tell you it was intense though as well. So we got there and bear in mind like the movie was made for $140,000. We never imagined it being on this kind of platform ever, you know? Mm-hmm. And we get there and we go, you know, we went to the opening night movie and to a party afterwards and it's like really exciting and and then we did a, a couple of days of press. I had never really done this before. You know, now I'm like chatting away in a podcast like it's a natural thing, but at that point it really wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty scary and daunting. And then we go to the premiere of Obsolidio, my film. It was in a, um, uh, in a theater with 750 people there. And it's totally sold out and it's totally full. And there's a huge wait list, you know, and you're going in and you're like, oh, my goodness. And I sit down. And first of all, actually, you get called up. You have to go up and say a few words before the movie. And I'm just like, my heart is beating. I, like, I don't do public speaking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm behind camera what i have to get up on the stage and i'm like really sweating bullets and and so i say a few words and then i go sit down and i sat down to watch the movie and i'm just like literally in pain like my body just (laughs) like like, so like you know like my neck just like everything in my body just feels pain and i'm trying to relax or something but i just really can't and i'm like i'm watching the movie and i had never seen my movie on a big screen (laughs) we edited it on a like basically a big TV screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing the movie like I've never seen it before because if you have experience with this, you'll know a movie plays totally different on a small screen than it does on a huge screen. Mm-hmm. And you also notice things on a huge screen <laughs> that you've never <laughs> noticed, even though you've seen your film like 200 times. Suddenly, I mean, I just about died at one place. I could see the mic pack on one of the actors. I had never seen it, you know? Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> on this big screen. It's like, you see everything. I'm like, oh, my goodness, the <laughs> mic pack, you know? <laughs> like, everyone's just like, oh, no, this is terrible. And, of course, most people didn't notice it and have never noticed it. But I was just, like, freaking out. And I would know, you know, I could hear every time someone sneezed or coughed or someone got up to go to the toilet at one point. I'm like, oh, they're mm-hmm. leaving my movie. Um, <laughs> it was awful. And so after it, you know, we did the thing on the stage, did the Q&A, and I was just really sort of like nervous and everything. And then we had a party. We had a little party at the house that we had rented, and we all went back there, and I just got quite drunk and then went to sleep. Because <laughs> <early. laughs> I was just so, like, horrified by the whole experience. Really. Right. And I woke up the next morning, and I thought, I wonder if there's any reviews. So I thought, I need to Google, you know, my movie and see if there's any reviews. And so I Google it. And of course, because it's a, a word that I made up, obsolidia, mm. you know, immediately get things about the film. There's nothing else. It's, it's a good thing about making up a word for the title of your movie. Yeah, <laughs> I like thing, that. Right? You know? So I, I Google it and, and lo and behold, there's a review. And it's like by some blogger. It's not in any of the main you know, uh, press channels. It's just a blogger who's immediately watched the movie and, and spit out their venom. And it really is like the most venomous review you can imagine. And I mean, and I'm just shocked. Like I'm reading this review and it's like, it's, I mean, it's not just like, it's not just like a bad review. It's like one of those ones that's like so beyond mean, you can't believe it. Like, Hmm. Like I thought it worth that movie. People would be like, eh, it's kind of boring. Nothing much happens, you know, but this is like, it's the worst movie ever made, Jeez. right? The, the title of it, I would I, like I should say right now, is uh, Obsolidia, a compendium of indie cliches, right? Ooh. I mean, it's tattooed on my heart forever, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh my God, you know? And I'm like, 
this is not the movie that I made. Like, how could this person like get this from it? And mm-hmm. why would they be so mean as well? Like it was really sort of personal, you know? And I was like, I was shocked. And I said to my husband, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to stay, you know, because I didn't, this isn't like why I made the film and this is not the spirit of it. And I sort of feel like my, my, my child who's not the best tap dancer, you know, not the most amazing, but they just danced their heart out on that stage. And now people are sharpening knives to like criticize them for it. You know, like, I don't know. I was like, I just, I don't know if I want to be here. It just, it feels too much, you know? Mm -hmm. And my husband was like, okay, Dan, let's just stay today. Anyway, he goes, you've got the director's brunch, go to the director's brunch, you know, let's stay tonight. And if you still feel that tomorrow, we'll go tomorrow, you know? And so I said, okay, fair enough. So I went to the director's brunch and I don't know, have you ever heard about the director's brunch? Do tell. This is, oh, it's amazing. So this is, they invite Robert Redford personally invites all the directors of the films up to the Sundance resort for lunch, for brunch. Hmm. And so you, no one else is allowed to go. No producers, no agents, no managers, no actors. It's just directors. And to get there, you have to go in, um, in Park City, you go to this uh, bu- place to get the bus, you know, and you have to mm-hmm. show your director's pass to get on the bus. And the bus takes you to the resort for this brunch with Robert Redford. And so, you know, so I get on the, I get on the bus and already it's just like, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm on a bus with a bunch of directors who I think are just amazing. You know, yeah. and I'm meeting them and I'm going, this is phenomenal. And we're like a bunch of kids going on a school trip, you know, and it's just so exciting. And, you know, and I'm just like, this is fantastic. And we get there and I'm talking to more of them. And two of the directors who were in the same category as me that year were Mark Ruffalo, famous for, for other things in directing. But he directed his first feature and he was there. And Derek Cien France, who had directed Blue Valentine that year. So I'm talking to the two of them and they go, what did you direct? And I said, Obsolidia. And they both go, oh, I really want to see that. And I said, well, I don't know if you do, actually, because apparently it's a compendium of indie cliches. (laughs) (laughs) And and they looked at me and Mark goes, Van, you didn't read the reviews, did you? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, are you crazy? You don't read the reviews. (laughs) Now, I know I'm not allowed to cuss, so I'm not going to say exactly what they said to me. (laughs) But there was a few cuss words involved, right? Mm -hmm. That was like, you know, you do not listen to those critics. You do not listen to the press. This is not why you made your movie. You're at Sundance. Your movie got into Sundance, right? And these two, I mean, it really just like, you know, they just lifted me up. You know, and I feel like this is what we do for other artists, you know, artists on the path. This is what we do for each other. You know, you do not listen to the critics. It's not why you make your movie. There will be people who will, you know, be so cruel and so mean about your work all the way through. And as you develop a tougher skin, you might want to go there. You can look at it if you want, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You know, you pick and choose like what you want to read about your stuff. If it's helpful to you, read it. If it's just vitriolic, you know, garbage, don't read it. And it really was like extraordinary. I left that brunch just like, I'm at Sundance. I'm going to have the best time. What was I crazy thinking that I would leave? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been invited to this amazing party. I'm not leaving. Um, And I just, after that, I just had a blast. You know, I just was like, I'm just going to enjoy this. I don't like, I don't care what anybody says about the movie. I don't care what people think about it. I'm here, you know, and I'm going to love it. And I really did. Hmm. By the end of the week, I suddenly was getting a ton of text messages going, you know, have you read the variety? Have you looked at variety? Look at variety, you know. 
And I had sort of gone, no, I'm just not looking at any reviews. I'm not doing it. I'm, if I'm not doing the bad, I'm not doing the good either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my husband was like, Diane, you're reading this review. And it was so amazing. Like it, by the end of the week, Variety, you know, Todd McCarthy gave us just a stellar review. And I think it was that thing. That's when I started to realize, okay, the thing with reviewers, it's, it's some are fantastic and they really understand films and they understand filmmaking and the sacrifices that we make to make films it's not an easy path mm-hmm. and there are others out there who are just they're just mean and they're those usually those are frustrated filmmakers themselves who think that if they made a film they would make a great one obviously right. um and they're mean you know and so you got to pick and choose and and look for those critics and it's uh, just as a consumer of reading film criticism make sure you choose the good ones who actually really care about this art and the artists who create it because it's not easy. No one sets out to make a bad film. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, uh, you obviously remember the bad review, but do you remember a quote from one of the good ones? I do. I do actually remember one from, um, from variety because Tom McCarthy singled it out as his favorite film from the festival Hmm. And uh, he said, gentle, intelligent, gorgeously made and utterly eccentric. So I do remember it. And I, you know, and it, it's it, like it was it meant so much to me because I, I felt like I, I mean, I, I felt beat up you know, during the week. Yeah. So to read that from somebody like him who, you know, in my opinion, really knows films and gets it. And what was really interesting in that review. And this is this just fascinated me. At the beginning of the process of making that film, I put in an Adam Craigslist for a line producer. Mm-hmm. And I wrote very clearly about the kind of film that I wanted to make. And I referenced the French New Wave mm-hmm. in particular. Um, uh, you know, I said, I want to make a movie that's like Pierrot LeFou, uh, Woody Allen, Annie Hall. You know, like, not that I wasn't ambitious or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and you know, a couple of other things. And in his review, he actually said, this filmmaker is clearly indebted to, you know, and he, he pinpointed the exact references that I had had, you know, before I made the movie. And I went, wow. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, and he mentioned the Woody Allen reference and I went, okay, he, he totally got it. You know, he totally got it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, your film, I go cinema is a broad church and we all pray at different altars. And it's okay, you know, like some people are going to dig what you do and they're going to love it and some people are not. And that's fine, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've made some short films that aren't the best and some people love them when I know they're not even good. Oh, bless you. <laughs> you know? You know? That's, a, that's a funny thing about it, though. Nobody knows anything. I mean, right. it's a big cliche about our industry, but they really don't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's one of those mysterious things that you don't know what you have until you share it. You can be completely down on it and, you know, it will touch some people. If you've made it with any kind of authentic heart, you know, like the things that you think are bad about it, you might be like, oh, you just see all the flaws. There comes a point when you're making a film, there's no doubt. Editing, it feels to me, is the process of being so excited about all the material to like, okay, this is kind of okay to being totally depressed about it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> by, by the end of it, I'm always just like, oh, this movie's awful. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why you keep making films, right? Yeah. You know, like I go, if you made a perfect movie, that's it. You would never have to make another one. Mm-hmm. You just be like, I'm done. You know, I'll, I'll be like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and just go make wine, you know, because I've, I've done it. I've made the perfect movie. Um, well, you pulled it, it, it off for your first feature more so than uh, the majority of filmmakers out there. Um, but it's far from a perfect film. 
It's a very flawed film. Mm. Well, you got the mic in there, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> We've got the mic. Uh, you know, also, it's quirky, you know? I, I think, though, you know, what I try to teach people in the workshops that I do is, like, really, if you can make something that you love and it's really coming from your heart, that is going to shine through and that's going to win more than anything. Mm-hmm. If you start getting to a place where you're second-guessing yourself, where you're not being guided by your intuition, but you're really being guided by what you think people will like, that's when you will endanger your chances, I think, of making a standout indie. And that's always what I'm interested in. Like, how do you make one that actually does stand out? And it takes courage because it means taking risks. Right. Taking risks means you might fail. (laughs) And, you know, and it 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 can swing both ways. But the only way to have, like, really a breakthrough hit is by taking risks, mm-hmm. you and know? So if you, if you are like, if you have that vision, like you want to make a film that really it will stand out, you, you know, you have to, you have to just get very courageous, listen to your heart and take all the risks. Mm-hmm. Now this, this workshop you mentioned, uh, that's, that's based on your book, um, called shoot from the heart. Yes. Well, kind of almost the other way around. I started oh, okay. after my experience making Bleeding Heart. I really, I for a while, I was kind of creatively depressed a little. You know, I, I made my first film in such a joyful, creative way. I made my second film. It was not a joyful, creative process. It was it was pretty troubled and difficult, and drawn out. Mm. And and I sort of you know, and it's not an uncommon story in our industry. And I really became a little, you know, depressed about making movies. And then suddenly I was like, wait a second, why, like, why have I taken on this idea that I have to make movies in a certain way? Like, the way that I made my first film, I could do that for the rest of my life. I can raise $100,000 and make a film whenever I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And anyone can. And you can make a great movie for that amount of money. You can make one that's totally free and takes all the risks because there's not a huge amount of money writing on it. And, you know, and I just suddenly became very passionate about teaching people that because people get very tuned into like this idea that to have a successful filmmaking career, you have to keep making bigger and bigger films, you know, and also that that's what we should be aiming for. And I sort of realized the process is the same, whether you make a movie for $100,000 or over a million or over 5 million, it's all the same process. And actually, you don't really necessarily get more of what you want because you have a bigger budget (laughs) you just pay people more (laughs) (laughs) like you know like you would hope that like if you have 10 times the budget you would get at least 10 extra shooting days or something you don't you get one Mm. you know but you don't get more time to make your you know it's like you just as I say you pay people more and so I sort of I became very passionate about sharing with people how to make a film in an off the grid way that really has a chance at making of being a success. I, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of lies in our industry and I want to dispel them and share really some truths and how to do it and why you should do it and how this can empower you. Because I've also, I lived in LA for a long time and I knew so many people that wanted to make films and who get caught in this idea that there's a conventional, the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. And the right way to do it is, you know, you have to get stars and you have to get this and you have to get that. And, and what they get caught in is trying to make it happen for five years and eventually giving up. I'm sure you're familiar with this story. Oh, know? yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, or even and, longer or less time. Absolutely. But uh, a absolutely. lot of them give up. 
And there's always like, there's always sort of carrots dangling in front of them, you know, like mm-hmm. some actors reading the script and might be involved or some, you know, producer who did this and that and some fancy this, you know, and like years go by, these people all give notes and, you know, nobody ever says no outright. <laughs> nobody ever commits and helps you actually get the thing made. Mm-hmm. And I just know people who like 10 years later, they still haven't made a movie. You right. know, they still haven't made a movie. And they're now like, they can't remember why they wanted to make that one or that one. You know, they've gone through a couple of different scripts that they were desperately trying to get off the ground and they're getting more and more jaded and cynical about the whole industry and what they're doing with their lives. And I just go, here's the deal. If you want to make movies, make movies, just make them. (laughs) Don't look for perfect. Right. (laughs) You know, just make them. And it's totally possible to make them in a way that they can compete with those bigger movies. Mm-hmm. this experience you know and so that is what I teach and I just became very passionate about that I started teaching workshops around that theme just demystifying the process inspiring people empowering people with the information they need to make it happen like how do you make a movie that has a chance at standing out and do it for less than a couple hundred thousand dollars and where do you get the money and how do you get the money and all those kinds of things that can be really mysterious to you when you're doing it for the first time mm-hmm. And so that was like, I started teaching those workshops. I love doing it. I was preparing for one of those workshops one day and I was something like, this would make a great book because this material is not out there, you know? And I've seen the impact it's had on people's lives who have come to the workshop who then just suddenly they're like, oh, I have no excuses anymore, (laughs) you know? And they make their movie Mm -hmm. and they make another one. And the only way you're going to get good at this is by making them, you know, it's not by waiting for the perfect situation, you know? And so, like, I've seen how empowering it is for people. And I was like, this would be a great book. And I literally did that thing where I was like, who publishes film books? And I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, ooh, MWP, of, you know, they've published most of them, Michael Wee's Productions. So I, I just, I wrote an email to them that day and uh, they got back to me. And a couple of weeks later, we had a deal and the book is just coming out now. Wow. That is impressive. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I can't wait to read it myself. But I, I like just even the title, Shoot from the Heart. The emphasis is not on explosions or big budget or uh, your no. DP. It's, uh, it's, it's the no. emotion or the intention behind the story. Absolutely. And I just feel, you know, like the whole process, I go, one, make films. Do not wait for perfect. Two, let your heart be your guide through the process. And you cannot go wrong. Even if you make a film that people don't like, if you have made the film that you wanted to make and you love it, trust me, you will feel good about it. You know, so it's really about like it's a heart driven way of making movies, which is not the typical. It's not. It's not what we're often taught. But it's practical. Uh, it's a, it's an actual guide for indie totally. filmmaking. Yeah. Totally. And I feel like it's as a, I you know, I feel like there's a lot of guides out there that are sort of like how to, you know, they tell you the conventional way, like how to do foreign sales and sales agents and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's movies about guerrilla filmmaking, like how to make movies for no money at all. And you know, I'm like actually I feel like the films that I've made the indie films or just in between that, and you can make a film for like $100,000, $200,000 that's really good, that's like technically excellent and can stand up against anything. Mm-hmm. And it really has a chance to stand out. And that's where, that's where I'm positioned and that's what I'm sharing, you know, how to do. It's really how to make that lower budget, micro budget film, but one that's really going to be technically um, excellent. 
mm-hmm. the film that you want to make. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't wait to read it. Uh, I looked over the the table of contents. Looks very interesting, and and uh, a lot of stuff that people need to know. Yeah, as they, I break it down, like I feel like it's just going. This is the book that I wish that I had had when I was making my first film. Mm. And actually, in a way, though, it's reverse engineered from the result that I had with my first film. How mm-hmm. did we achieve that? You know, and that film, as I say. It can happen that you could be sitting one January watching Sundance on your TV, you know, the Sundance Awards, and one year later, and you have a script and nothing else, and one year later, you could be there yourself receiving an award. That's what happened to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like the book is outlining the exact process that I used to make that movie. Right. You know? It's almost like a, a case study. It is. It is a case study in a sense. And I definitely use a lot of examples from that. Um, but as well as other things, I just go, I, it is like what happened there is repeatable, mm-hmm. you know, and it, there, it just like demystifies those different steps, you know, because when you decide to make a movie, it can be very overwhelming. Like I've been there and I know like that feeling of every day, like, oh, my gosh, you know, what do I have to do now? And so I just try to really simplify it. So it's just like, OK, here's the 16 steps that you have to take to make a film and just do one at a time. You know, keep just moving towards your goal. And here's a blueprint and a plan for how to make it happen, you know, and how to make it happen in a way that gives you really the best chance at success. Mm-hmm. And for me, success isn't necessarily that you will get into Sundance or that you win awards. Success is making the movie that you want to make and then getting to do it again. So, you know, I just, I, I feel free as an artist. And that's the point. I think often filmmakers feel very uh, limited and the, uh, their lives depend so much on the choices of others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like what I teach is how to liberate yourself from that. You know, like you can be, if you want to make movies, you make movies. You know, there's just, there's no excuse. There's Mm -hmm. absolutely no excuse. Um, And whether the powers that be choose you or not doesn't matter. You know, you can make the movies you want to make for the rest of your life. And I think filmmaking done with the right spirit, with the right people, you know, surround yourself with people who inspire you and excite you and who love you and love your ideas and you love theirs and you all raise each other up. You know, you can't go wrong because even if the movie is not a big success, you have a great time doing it. So, Diane, this has been great. Uh, can you let the people out there know uh, where, where to find you on social media? Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, there's my website, which is dianebell.com. And very exciting, I have an online course that's going to be launched soon that is based on the book. So if you can't come to one of the live workshops, the online course is going to dig deeper into everything we've been talking about today. Mm. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Diane Bell one and also on Facebook at Shoot From The Heart. Um, so get in touch and feel free to email me also. Uh, you'll get my email through the, through the website. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Diane. This has been a great episode. Uh, Like I said, I I look forward to reading your book um, and uh, checking out your films and keep doing what you're doing. Uh, It's very inspiring to a filmmaker like me. So I appreciate it. And I know a lot of our, our listeners do appreciate it. Well, Tim, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do, because this is all it. This is all how we raise each other up is exactly the thing that I'm talking about. This community and the community you've created is amazing. So thank you so much. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. Well, that's that. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit? Thank <laughs> you.